Well, good morning. Oh, that was so warm and beautiful. Let us stand and raise our voices to our God and let him know he is wonderful and beautiful. Amen. Be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in 
<laughs> Someone's not feeling the spirit this morning. Huh? Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together today to worship, and we're here to enjoy that time. Father, we thank you that you are with us and that we're with you. Father, I pray that as we're gathered here this morning, we can put our focus on you, that we can just grow closer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. We've come together to worship the Lord, and we're glad that you've joined to do that. Joined us to do that. Before we continue singing, please make sure you fill out your connection card. If you're following us online, we ask that you do the same thing so we can be praying for you. At this time, the praise team is going to continue leading us in song this morning. Oh, we look to the sun, set eyes on a Savior, see the image of Sing his praises forever. Oh, we look to the sun. Oh, we look to the sun. Salvation. Kingdom burst into color at the speed of light. Freedom shaking at the atmosphere as the shadows fade into nothing as the day appears. Beyond the skies above, love reaching out.
reaching out for us the everlasting one jesus our god beyond the skies above love reaching out for us the everlasting one jesus our Isaiah we read, and one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth.
lost for words so lost in love i'm sweetly broken holy surrender cast your burden on the lord and he will sustain you he will never allow the righteous to be shaken Presence of my enemy. 
in the presence of my enemies. Sing a little louder, louder than the unbelief. Sing a little louder, my weapon is a melody. Sing a little louder, heaven comes to fight for me. Sing a little louder, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear. Difficult question for some, maybe. How willing are you to follow the direction of another person? How willing are you to do that? Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, it depends on the person. Depends on if I trust them, if I respect them, if I think that they're going to be helpful to me. But let's say the person in question is someone you do respect and that you trust. How willing are you to be submissive to their leadership and direction? Now, if you listen, I switched terminology. I went from uh, following direction and their leading to submission, to being submissive. <laughs> the word submissive makes things much more complicated, doesn't it? Much more complicated. It seems like a deeper level of commitment. If you're willing to be submissive, though, to that person, how far down the rabbit hole of submission are you willing to go? At what point will you say, I'm not going to submit myself to that. I'm not going to submit myself to that person. Now let's move from the thought of submission to people to God. A person who's baptized into Christ and they claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior is called to be submissive to God and to God's will. And I think that's a fair statement. That's not twisting scripture. That's not 
there's no way we can argue that if you're a Christian that you need to be submissive to God and his will. It's just a given. But the question, of that, the, the question about that is this, how far down the rabbit hole of submission are you willing to go with God? How far down that rabbit hole of submission are you willing to go with God? Are you willing to follow God and to be submissive to his will when he tells you to do something you don't want to do? When God says, I want you to do this, say, nope. Are you willing to follow? How about when God is leading you to do something that is difficult? It's going to cost you something. That's going to go against the flow of everything that you know and even looks crazy. Are you willing to be submissive to that point? See, James today is going to take us to a place that's very difficult for many of us. The idea of submitting our will to somebody else, even to God. At times, God is going to ask you to do things that are difficult, costly, but the question is, will you still be willing to be submissive to God and to his will, even in the midst of all that, even when you don't know what God has in store for you, but yet he's saying, here's what I want you to do. Following God is great. It is awesome until it costs you something. Then it gets complicated and very difficult. The, the big idea to the message this morning is very simple. True religion or true faith submits to God's will for our lives. That's the bottom line. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. We're going to start with verses 7. We're going to just read the passage, and then we'll break it apart as we go through. So it says this. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and joy into despair. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's real encouragement this morning, some of that, isn't it? The first thing we're going to see, though, is the call to submission. James, James has taught on submission in chapter 3. And in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, he'll kind of deal with this. As he deals with the subject of, of basically more, giving moral exhortations about, hey, this is how you should live your life. At the heart of all attempts for right living to being right with God is our relationship with God, who calls us to submit to him. James goes to this thought because in verse 6, that we'll read a little bit in a moment, but I want to give you the actual quote from Proverbs 3.34. James tells us this as he quotes it in verse 6. He says, With arrogant scoffers, he is scornful, speaking of God, yet he shows favor to the humble. So the thought through verses 7 through 9 is that we need to submit to God since God is scornful to the arrogant scoffer. So in other words, if I'm going to fight his will and not follow his will, he's not going to be happy with me, and that's not going to be a blessed place to be in. God shows his grace to the humble, and we'll talk about humility in a little bit, so we're called to submit to him. Really, when you look at verses 7 through 9, you're given a choice. You have to decide, are you going to be a friend of God, or are you going to have friendship with the world? And then these verses shows us what it looks like to have friendship with God. The ability to develop a friendship and a relationship with God is built on the idea of being submissive to him. Without that thought and without that action, we can never really have a relationship with God because what we'll have is a butler who does what we want when we want, or we try, 
we don't have a real relationship. And when you think about this I issue of submission, no relationship can function without it. I mean, I've heard, I've heard some of the extreme feminist movement say, I don't need no man, I don't need this, I don't need a man. Well, then don't get one. Do men a favor and stay away from them. Because the fact of the matter is, if you go into a marriage with that attitude, I don't need you. If you don't need them, don't get them, okay? Or men who treat women like, well, I don't need you around. Well, if you feel that way, don't get one. Because the marriage relationship requires mutual submission. And if, you're thinking, if you don't feel, well, I can't be submissive to that man, well, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't have ever gotten with that person in the first place. And the same, well, I can't be submissive to my wife, well, then you shouldn't have been with them. Because with, with a relationship, parent-child, there's an issue of submission there. Husband-wife, wife-husband, all of these relationships, boss and employee, they all have an element of submission to them. If I go into a job situation and I'm like, I'm not going to do a single thing my boss tells me to do, where am I going to end up? Unemployment line, you know? When I'm not willing to live my life with the issue of knowing that I need to be humble enough to be submissive, then I can't function. I can't have relationships. A husband who won't be submissive to his wife where, he, where he's supposed to be, he's not going to have a relationship with her. A wife who won't be submissive to her husband has no relationship with them. She has an emasculated man, and it doesn't work. If I go into God with my relationship and say, you know what, I'm not going to submit to his will. I'm going to do what I want. He's going to bless it. Then what ends up happening is I don't have a relationship. I have a butler, if you will. The word submission, as we look at what this nasty word means, it's built on two root words. The first one is to be under, and the second one, which is super important to the definition because it helps explain what it is and what it isn't, is to place oneself. So the literal definition of the biblical word submission is to place oneself under someone else or the will of someone else. The idea is to yield yourself to God and to his will, that you're not going to fight him all the time, that you're going to say, you know what, I know God is wanting to do what's best for me, so I'm going to allow myself to be under his control because I know it's best for me. The other thing we need to understand about this word, it's a voluntary act of the will. It's a conscious decision that I'm going to follow and I'm going to obey. It is not beating, you know, sometimes we think of submission as, well, I'm going to beat them into submission. Well, no, that's really not the biblical sense of the word. That's brutality. That's not, that's not true submission. You know, you say, well, I'll get them to do what I want to do that way. Well, yeah, you might, but that's not submission in the biblical sense. And so submission requires that I make a conscious decision that I'm going to follow God's will. That even when I'm fighting and even when it's difficult, even when it's not convenient, even when it looks crazy, I make a decision to follow Jesus. You know, that we have a song that we do in first service, I've decided to follow Jesus. And that's what it's all about. You can't take somebody, and some parents will do this when it comes to baptism. Think, i got to get my, my kid baptized. Well, why? Well, I just need to. Well, why? No, your kid has to want to be baptized into Jesus because you can't force them into the kingdom of God. So they have to make that decision. You have to make that decision to follow Jesus. When you go into the marriage relationship, you have to make that decision that I want to marry this person, that I'm going to submit my life to them. It's a voluntary yielding. It cannot be through, co through coercion, and it carries a connotation of humility, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit. James has, has stated in, in Proverbs 3.34, here's what he says in James 4.6 that leads to where we are. He says, but God gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so by def definition, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, if I want to receive his grace, 
I can't go to him stuffed full of pride. And many times in marriage relationships, there's a lot of pride going on in the house. And when that pride goes on in the house, the, the relationship won't hold up because it, it just doesn't work that way. You can't function that way. And if I go to God and I'm full of pride, I'm thinking, and we'll talk about a passage that Jesus talks about in a minute. If I go to God thinking, I'm the, you know, I'm the greatest thing you've ever had, there's a problem. Because then all of a sudden, I don't need to listen to you. I don't need to follow you. Submission is a readiness to submit to whatever God imposes on you. And we see examples of this throughout Scripture. We see even people like Jonah who fought it and says, I'm not going, to Tar I'm not going there, I'm going to Tarshish instead. It's a much better deal. Abraham, hey, Abraham, you know, you're going to be the father of many nations. I know you're 75 years old and so on, and I know you're up there in age. But you know what? You're going to have a lot of offsprings, and then we're going to wait a long time before you have them. And by the way, when you finally have that son, Isaac, you're going to sacrifice him to me. You're going to put him on the altar, <laughs> sacrifice him. Now, I've always said he's a teen. if he was a teenager at that time, it might have been easy. But um, nonetheless, Abraham, that wasn't easy. That was going to be hard. It was God's will that he do it. But what did Abraham do? Yes, Lord. But he knew, the Bible tells us, he knew that even if he took his son's life, God would raise him from the dead because God made promises. And Abraham was willing to be submissive because it looked stupid and crazy to say, this is the only kid you have. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're up near, you know, pushing 100 at this point. And then here's your only offspring. Looks crazy. But Abraham did it. And God stopped him, of course but he was willing to put it all on the line. <laughs> this characteristic of hum the humility is required before any of this works, and we'll dive into that. But submission is a very tricky subject for many people because our society values autonomy and self-direction. We don't need anybody. We don't need to listen to anybody. We do whatever we want. Well, we know in reality that doesn't work. And even in churches many times, we teach a lot of messages and stuff on submission, and good messages, but then what ends up happening sometimes is people in power take advantage of that. And so it makes it hard, because all of us can come up with an example. Yeah, I was submissive to this person, and here's how they took advantage of me. So I'm not going to do it anymore. And there's a lot of, it's, it's very difficult. The second part of verse 7, I love this part. Because he tells us, he says, submit yourself therefore to God. Then he says, resist the devil, and what, what, what will he do? flee see what the devil does is he plants seeds of doubt and he goes on the offensive when we see a weakness see when when he approached eve he didn't go to her on day one he was watching he was watching he probably watched her each day walk by that tree and go and she's looking at that just salivating oh man that looks really good walk by man i really like to have some of that i am convinced it's a coconut cream pie tree <laughs> that was the fruit but she's walking by it, or an apple pie tree. I like apple pie, too. Walking by it, and, and Satan's watching this, and then what's he do? He doesn't go up to her and say, hey, just eat it. It looks good, just eat it. He does tell her it looks good, but what does he do? He prefaces it with this. Remember, a relationship is built on submission and trust. And the devil planted the seeds of doubt in Eve, and she's, basically he says to Eve, can you really trust God? You know, he made this looking pretty good. Why would he do that if he didn't want you to have some of that? I'm paraphrasing. And then he says, you know, if God, he's not looking out for you. He's trying to hold you back. Because once you eat of that man, you can be just like God. Why wouldn't he want you to be just like him? 
And finally, she gave in. She gave in. Because she started to doubt whether God really loved her, whether he was looking out for her, and whether he had his, her best interest at heart. And when we live life that way, and this is what Satan's always doing to us, when we live life that way and we're always doubting what God wants for us and does for us and if he even loves us, we're going to have a hard time submitting to his will. When the devil went after Jesus in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, a lot of people, well, first of all, Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. He is hungry, he's tired, he's, he's, he's thirsty. And the devil comes up and gives him some temptations. Now, remember, Jesus was God, but he was fully man, so if I go like 40, I couldn't, I don't think, I, I can't even go that, that'd be a long time. Four or five hours without eating, man, that's rough. But Satan comes up to him, and what he's doing is he's offering him a bunch of things. But the bottom, if you will, the root of what Satan's offering him is a way to avoid the cross. It's not about the food and the water. It's not about jumping off the top of the temple. It's not about that. It's about, Jesus, I'm going to give you a way to avoid the cross. Now, Jesus knew what was coming. And when he was going to go on that cross, it'd, just, it'd be no different than any of us were put on that cross. We, he felt it just the same. And so Satan's trying to give him a way out. And so, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? First of all, he fights him with Scripture. But when Jesus resists, what does the devil do? He takes his little pointy tail, if he's got one, and runs out the building. Little red suit and everything. I don't, I don't know what he looks like, but that'd be kind of cool if he looked that way. But see, Jesus resisted, and, the, and, the, and Satan fled. Each and every moment of each of every day, you've got him in your ear trying to cause you to doubt. To doubt whether your spouse loves you, to doubt whether God loves you, to doubt this, to doubt that. He's trying to fill your head with doubt because he wants to fracture that relationship. But do you know the power that you have when you're fighting the devil? Do you realize that you don't have to lose? You don't have to succumb to the pressure. You don't have to succumb to the temptation. You know why? Because James says, resist the devil. What will he do? Flee. He's in your ear, tell him to get out. If he's messing with your life, tell him to leave you alone because you have that power. You have that power. You can just simply say, Satan, get out of here. That's what Jesus says, Satan, be gone. There he goes. Same power. And so many times as Christians, we live defeated. We give into temptation. We succumb to the pressure because we think we have no other choice. Yes, you do. You don't have to give in. You have power. Jesus gave you the power to send that loser away. And you need to use it. Do you use it? Or do you just, well, I finally got to give in? Or do you use the power? Jesus is more powerful than Satan ever will be. He's defeated. You have the power to kick him out of your life. Will you do it? Or are you one of those, as we a lot of times do, he knocks on the door and he puts that coconut cream, or it had to be apple because you cooked it, and puts that apple pie up there. Oh, man, that smells good. I think I might just hang around and sniff that for a while. And then finally you open the door, he comes in. Cool analogy, huh? Now we're all going to want apple pie for lunch. But the thing is, you've got the power, folks. You're not helpless. You're not victims. There's not a single person in here that's a victim. We have power over him. Will you use it? Do you have confidence that you can use it? Because you can. 
Let's look at verses 7 through 9 again. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, and your, you sinners, and make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning, and your joy into despair. So what we're going to look at now is the nature of submission. Verses 7 through 9 act independently as a cohesive teaching on the nature of submission, beginning with the command that we just examined to, first of all, submit to God. And then it's followed by a series of some couplets that describe the nature of submission. And the first one is found in verse 7, the last part of verse 7, and in verse 8, where we're directed to resist and we're told to draw near. So we've got that couplet of resist, draw near. When we're developing a friendship, a relationship with God, those who seek to be near God will hopefully find themselves in a position where they're not going to be in places they don't want God to be with them. In other words, uh, I'll be very delicate with this. A lot of young men and some ladies, I know things have changed, I'm getting kind of old, but back in the day, a lot of young men, when they were single, and, and some of you have been in the military have seen this too, when you don't have any ties to somebody, you will go into establishments that if you were married, you'd probably never take your wife to, unless you've got a really odd relationship. Uh, you would never do that. And what we have to do is we're trying to, and you do that because you want to be near to your spouse. If I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm going to the club tonight, um, and I do this quite often, we're going to have problems. Or if I say, hey, why don't you come to the, yeah, she's shaking her head, yeah. She's cleaning her gun and everything. And if I say, hey, why don't you go to the club with me tonight? That would be really odd. But because I want to have a closer relationship with my wife, if I, and I didn't do those things, by the way. If I did those things before, I would never do those because I'm married. I don't belong there. And when you're a Christian, you're married to God. There are places you don't belong. And as we're drawing near to him, we won't take him and try it. We won't go to places where we say, Jesus, stay in the car. Wait out here. I don't want you in there. We, need, we don't want to do that physically or emotionally or mentally. We don't want our mind to go to places where I'm thinking something, say, Jesus, uh, go into the next room and lock the door. You're not coming in here. So one of the things that we're called to do as we do this fleeing and as we do this resisting is when you resist, you have to go near. You have to draw near to something. And we're told to do that. We're to seek to draw, to, to, to draw near to him. Now, the question is, how do you do that? And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But part of that starts with submission. There's a reason we're to be submissive to the will of God. It's not just without purpose. James teaches us to draw close to God, and what will he do? He will draw near to us. A simple analogy for this is an athlete. Professional athletes, even college athletes, but particularly professional athletes, Olympians, they submit themselves to a training regiment. Eating, working out, getting up early in the morning, getting with their coaches. They go through all of this training that they submit themselves willingly to because they have the goal to be an Olympic gold medalist or to be a professional athlete, and they do this. And they do it for a reason because they have a goal in mind. Well, Singers, dancers, and musicians do the same thing. They want to be the top of their field, so they practice. They submit a lot of their time to the discipline. And so what we end up having, to, what we see here is there's a goal in mind for this. And so when we are drawing near to God, we have to do the things 
that will help us to draw near to God because our end goal is to be close to him. And we know that that way we know what we're submitting to. If you don't draw near to him, you don't know what he wants. It's very simple, really. We draw near to him, first of all, you know, by spending time in the word because that's where his will is. His will is not in secular books or in cult books. It's in scripture. So we learn about God's will in scripture. And then we've, we, we, we draw closer to God by communicating. Imagine having a relationship you never wrote, you never talked, you never read anything from the other person. It'd be kind of hard to have a relationship with them. We need to spend time, and it's not just, prayer is not just, oh, you know, bowing our head. It's that constant line of communication with God through the Holy Spirit that's within us. And so, we, and the other thing is, we walk with God everywhere we go. We take him with us, because he's there anyway. You know, when you go to, for, like, for a, a walk with your spouse, you know, it's, it should be a good time. You're, you're close, and you're talking, and you're walking together. If we're not spending time in the Word, spending time in communication and spending time walking with Him, we can't have a relationship with Him. We can know who He is. You know, as a kid, I've told you this before. I knew the stats in the baseball. I knew the baseball, as I call the back of the baseball card. I knew the stats of a lot of ball players, man. I could tell you everything about them, but I didn't really know them. Many people know God like the back of a baseball card. They don't really have a relationship. They know who He is. They know about Him, but they've done nothing to develop that relationship. And that relationship means that I have to draw near to him with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, and with all my strength. Jesus in Matthew 15, 8 says, he's talking about the Pharisees, he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far away. And so Jesus wants that interior and exterior draw. In the Old Testament, the right to draw near to God was a privilege. And it was reserved for the priest in Leviticus 19, 22 as an example. Let the priests also who appear, who approach the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break through against them. A lot of the priestly service was done in the Holy of Holies. No one could go in there. No one but the priest. And for the priest to go in there and come out alive, he had to be prepared. They'd tie a rope around him. You know why? If he did something wrong and God swiped him and struck him down there, no one was going in to get him. They'd pull him out. I mean, it was a privilege and an honor to be in the presence of God. But the thing is, now we have that opportunity. We can draw near to God. We're encouraged to do it. We're commanded to do it. He's not going to strike his down for it. But we have that opportunity. It's kind of like Bibles. There's so many of them that many times, that's a Bible. I've got friends that used to, to deliver Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. Some of you young people need to Google what an Iron Curtain was. But we he'd deliver into these places that could have cost him his life because people didn't have Bibles. And so, because we have so many of them, we just, that's a Bible. Or we come to church, I can go to any church I want to, but in many countries you don't have that. And so, if we're not careful, we just take God for granted. And we can't do that. We've got to draw near to him. The second couplet in verse 8b describes the inner and outer meaning of repentance. He gets really hardcore here. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's probably saying it with a smile on his face, I doubt. Make your hearts pure, you double-minded. And what he's speaking of in this verse, the context of it is called, it's repentance. It's the issue of repentance. Drawing near to God must be done with clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, right actions, right heart. In James chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, You desire and do not have. You murder and envy and you, don't, you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight and you do not have because you do not ask. And so what was happening is the people in church were struggling 
God wasn't blessing them because, oh yeah, they were doing the external things, but their hearts were a mess. See, we have to allow God to work in our heart. We have to allow God to cleanse our heart. In Psalm 24, we're told that the one whose deeds are blameless and whose motives are pure, who does not lie or make promises with no intention of keeping them, such godly people are rewarded by the Lord and vindicated by the God who delivered them. With Jesus, he was dealing with the Pharisees and on occasions they would chastise him. Hey, you and your disciples, they're not doing all the ceremonial things of the law to wash your hands and to do what you're supposed to do. And Jesus said, okay, here's my counterpunch. You guys look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. You guys are like a cup that's clean on the outside, but got chunks of food on the inside. He was telling them, yeah, you may look good, but your hearts are a train wreck. These very men who are religious people were plotting to kill Jesus. Not very religious sounding, not very God sounding, was it? But he was telling them, you have to clean the inside and the outside. James says, you can't be double-minded. And that's what he talks about in that verse. You can't serve God and you can't serve the world. By definition, if you're trying to do both, you're serving the world. You've got to make a decision in your life. Remember that friendship with world, friendship with God? We have to decide who we're going to serve. And it's, it can be very difficult. The third couplet fleshes out what repentance looks like. He says, be wretched. And it describes the grief one ought to experience when we deal with sin. Verse 9 is hardcore. You know, look at this again. Grieve, mourn, weep. Turn your laughter into mourning, your joy into despair. What he's not doing here is saying, you just got to be a miserable human being. What he's trying to get them to see is he says, listen, this issue of repentance, clean on the inside, clean on the outside, making these changes, what's happening to us sometimes is we get so used to some of the sin we deal with, we just laugh it off. We just write it off. We just say, well, I'm only human. The devil made me do it. Or this person did this, so therefore, the anger is my favorite one. You made me mad, so therefore I hit you. No. You allowed yourself to get angry because you couldn't control yourself because you're acting like a two-year-old, maybe a one. And you can't, and, but yet you want to blame other people for your lack of self-control. See, we so write off the things we struggle with. This is why we keep struggling with them. Well, you know, I'm hooked onto this. I can't help it. Give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. Actions and attitudes in verse 9 are the things that lead to repentance. James wants the people to understand how important it is. We talk about baptism, we talk about faith, we talk about confession, but really one of the linchpins of salvation is repentance because repentance requires humility, it requires submission, and if we won't do either one of those things, we will never, we will never fully give ourselves to God. James says, let your laughter turn into mourning. What he's trying to do is get them to see the gravity of their sin, not to just laugh it off, not to just write it off. Because if we don't ever understand the gravity of it, we're just going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. We're not to make light of it. Let's look at verse 10. He finishes up here. He says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So we have this call to humility. Verse 10 concludes the summary command to humble ourselves. A thorough description of submission gives us resisting the enemy, drawing closer to God, repenting inwardly and outwardly, and genuinely grieving over sin that we struggle with. Jesus said in Luke 18, 14, he said, I tell you that that man went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In the context, Jesus is telling a parable about two dudes that are praying. 
there's this one they call the sinner, and he's beating on his chest saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need your help. I'm, I'm sorry. Help me out. And the other one's a Pharisee watching this saying, thank God I'm not like him. He, he had nothing to repent about. He says, I'm thankful I'm not like this dude here, man. This dude is a sinner. That's not me. And Jesus said, you know what? That Pharisee is not going to be justified. He will be humbled one day. Because that Pharisee had just as much sin in his life as that quote-unquote sinner. And so what we have to understand is that when we're dealing with this situation, that we have to come to God in humility. It's the it's, it's essential part of repentance. See, have you ever been around a person who, no matter what happened, they won't apologize? They will never admit they were wrong, ever. Or if they do, it'll be kind of half-hearted. It's like when you grab the kid by the scruff and tell him you're sorry. You know, it's really heartfelt. But what ends up happening is when they do say something, there's always a but. When you throw the but into the apology, there's no apology because you're not taking responsibility. Well, you know, I'm really sorry, but no, you're not sorry. You're making excuses. You're not taking responsibility for your own actions. And you know what type of person won't apologize? One who's not humble. I can't tell you how many times I had to apologize to my kids when I was raising them for me being young and stupid. I got to the point with Rach, I'd just say, okay, if I do something dumb, we're going to go to Dairy Queen, and you're going to, you can have whatever you want, because we had Dairy Queen right next to the house. It was really a dangerous place, actually. Um, I should have thought it out and thought, you know, if I keep doing things wrong, I can benefit from this from Dairy Queen, but, but there were times where I just, I had to get down on her level and say, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. I'm sorry, I did this. And, and I always try to be very open with my kids. I've been around so many people that won't apologize for it anything you know why pride if you're stuffed full of pride you'll, you never do anything wrong some people can't allow themselves to be wrong because of mommy and daddy issues but i mean it's rough it's very rough when one is not humble they don't think that they need to apologize they don't think they need repentance and just like that pharisee that jesus was talking about that dude he's in trouble if we come to god stuffed full of pride we will be humbled one day It'll just happen. I want to share a quote from you from the College Press Commentary series on this section. I think it's very telling. In this, speaking of the verses we're looking at, the heart of his, excuse me, in this, the heart of his epistle, James speaks to the contemporary problem of the worldly Christian. A great percentage of the population claims to be Christian. But what makes one a Christian? Are we Christians because we obtain church and hear sermons? This is self-deception. Listening to the word is no good without obedience, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Are we Christians because we believe certain things? Faith without action is dead, according to James 2, 14 through 25. Are we Christians because we pray? No, even prayer can be evil if we pray for selfish pleasures. Do we claim to follow God while at the same time following the standards of the world? If we do, at that point, we're enemies of God. There used to be an old television commercial years ago that says, who says you can't have it all? Uh, God does. You can't. You can't have the world, and you can't have him. You've got one or the other. When we think of worldly, 
You know, we think of drinking, smoking, don't dance. You've heard those sermons. You don't hear those from me. But you've heard those sermons of all the don'ts. We're, we're against everything. But really, worldliness is much more than specific vices. It's a heart attitude. It's, it's that attitude that says, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, no matter what God says. And that's the problem. Our application for this morning is very simple. We submit to God when we put him first and we order our lives to draw close to him. If we don't put him first and we don't order our lives around him, we'll never have the relationship that we all want to have with him. This morning, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. We have a, you've got a God in heaven who loves you. You've got a God in heaven who, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be close to him. You know, there's sometimes there's people in life, you're like, you want to keep, you know, I'm going to keep my distance from that person. I get that. But with God, why would you not want to be near him? He has done so much for you. He loves you so much. He wants to be with you for eternity. Not just for a month, not just for a year, not for a day, for eternity. If you want to be with that God, we give you the opportunity this morning to, to make a decision for Christ. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make uh, First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you're struggling this morning and need prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to lift you up in prayer. But at this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision. If you have a decision, we invite you to come forward.
time uh, June and Steve Barber come forward to us as immersed believers in Christ and would like to make First Christian their home. So I'm going to ask June and I'm going to ask June and Steve, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. Amen. I'm basing your confession of faith and that you're immersed believers. We welcome you to the First Christian family. Thank you. You know, we come to this time in our service, um, our communion time, and we sang the song, I Raise, uh, Raise a Hallelujah, and I, I love that song. And when you listen to the words of that song, it is so joyous to sing, but so difficult to put into practice. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder, I'm going to let my praises roar. Hmm. No, I'm going to cry and whine during the middle of a storm. I'm going to throw a fit. I'm going to get mad at God. I'm going to get mad at people around me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Hmm. It's amazing. And that's what we should be doing. Is it easy to do that? No. You know why we can do it? During this communion, we are to remember what Jesus did. And... When we go through the storms of life, if we have a Savior who's dead in a tomb, why are we singing? We're stupid to do that. 
because there's no power behind our hope. There's no hope. Paul talks about this. He says, if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, we are the most pitied of all people because he didn't raise from the dead. We're believing a lie. 1 Corinthians 15, I think around chapter, verse 50-ish. But when we take this communion each week, what we're doing is saying, no, we believe, we know, and we've put our faith in the fact that we're not doing something to just celebrate some dead guy, but we're celebrating the fact that he's risen from the dead. Why can I sing in the middle of a storm? Why should, you know, when I should? Because Jesus is risen. Jesus is at the right hand. Why is it when the devil comes at me and I can say, get away from me, he will flee with his little pointy tail between his legs? Because Jesus is alive. Dead Jesus doesn't give you that. And so when you take your communion this morning, it's not for dead Jesus. It's for Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, telling us, you're going to be with me one day. And all things are going to be new. All things are going to be good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can gather around this table this morning to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, where you defeated death through your son Jesus, and we can have eternal life through him, and we can be with him. So when those storms hit, we can sing. Lord, we thank you for this blessing. We thank you that you loved us so much that Jesus died on the cross and that you raised him on the third day. And Father, I thank you that we can have a relationship with you that surpasses all things. Lord, as we take these emblems, we're reminded of the body and the blood of Christ through the cup and the loaf. And Lord, we remember the love that it took to do all those things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. The elders and preachers get together today at 3.30. Jerry has all of his youth group activities, Rogers Group's meeting. We have Stitches of Love Monday. Our leadership team meeting is Tuesday. We have all of our Bible studies this week. Uh, the Sunshine Ladies meet Saturday. And Operation Christmas Child is doing a, has a fundraiser at Gunny's Barbecue on Saturday from 11 to 2.30. Um, they're going to have a lot of fun things going on there. Um, also, uh, prime time in August. Gosh, it's already August, isn't it? Um, we'll be at Bright Spot in Hereford, so we'll have a sign-up sheet for that this next week. Uh, Lori's getting ready to lead a life group on Wednesday, starting in September 6th for the ladies, so there's a sign-up sheet for that. Operation Christmas Child's looking for donations of different things. You can see that in the bulletin. And Peach's Pantry, we're going to start taking food donations since school is back in session. So that's all that. Also, just to remind those who want to go off-road in February, excuse me, in November, we're going to go on the fort, so make sure you get your pass to get on the fort before then. On the inside of your bulletin, too, we have prayers of thanks. We had a Singspiration here last, last week. Uh, uh, Singspiration, it's, we get together and sing a bunch of the old school songs, and the band did one song. We're going to do another one in January, at the last Sunday of January. It was a really good time of fellowship. And maybe this next one, if you get a chance, come, 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 come join us. There's a lot of food, too, so it was really good. Uh, we have a lot of things we're praying for, a lot of people with health concerns, deployed troops, shut-ins. We're focusing on Peach's Pantry as our outreach this month, and Southern Mexico Mission is the mission. At this time, let's stand together, and I will uh, have a closing prayer, and the band will lead us out with a song. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come together today, and we pray, Lord, that with all the people and all the things we have in the bulletin, that people will take those home and lift those up to you throughout the week. Lord, I pray that as we live life this week, we can live it knowing that we are dealing with a defeated enemy, and help us to use that power to kick him out of our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.